0: Good morning. Uh, For those of you guys that don't know, my wife and I had our daughter six months ago. And one thing that I took for granted uh, before having a child was the freedom to go watch a movie whenever you want. Um, I can't just watch a movie anymore. It's impossible to do. Um, My friends all ask me, do you want to watch Black Panther or or Star Wars or even Thor? And it's like, oh, let me ask my wife. can I go? It's like, uh, no. <laughs> and that has happened many times. And so what I end up having to do now is I have to re-watch the movies that I already have um, in Blu-ray or on Netflix. And this week, while I was preparing for our time together, I was reminded of a scene from The Dark Knight Rises, um, the third Batman movie. And for those of you who are not familiar with the film because you haven't watched it, what are you doing? <laughs> Go watch it please. It's a great film. But I'm also sorry because I am going to spoil some of it for you guys today. Really briefly, there's this antagonist of the story, the bad guy, high quality bad guy, really scary, really strong, really, you know, scary as a weird voice and in their first encounter, Bane and Batman, they're fighting and Bane breaks Batman's back and knocks him out unconscious. And so Bane takes Batman and throws him in this particular prison. It's a pit in the middle of the desert. And it's rumored to be the place where Bane was born. And it's presumably a place where no one can climb out of. No one can escape except Bane somehow got out. And spoiler alert, Batman can escape it. And he does escape it. But not until he fails numerous times in making that dangerous climb. And not until he has this conversation with the prison doctor in their cell. And the conversation is enlightening. It goes like this. The doctor looks at Batman and says, fear is why you are failing. To which Batman responds, I'm not afraid. I'm angry. (laughs) And the prison doctor says, you do not fear death. You think this is what makes you strong, but it makes you weak. How can you move faster than possible, fight longer than possible without the most powerful impulse of the spirit? Fear, the fear of death. You know, wrapped up in this short scene is a profound but true thought that fear is necessary, that it's actually beneficial. And we've seen that. Fear keeps us alive. It protects us from danger. It can actually motivate us. But we also seen the downfalls and the detriments of fear. It prevents us from action. It paralyzes us. It causes us to get anxious. And the truth of the matter is that fear is natural to all of us. We all struggle with some kind of fear, legitimate or not. It shows up in the way that we will live our lives. It drives the choices that we make. It governs our thoughts. It governs our hearts. It governs our actions. And today's passage says much. It has much to teach us about fear. Three things that I want us to look at during our time together about fear. It's in your bulletins if you guys want to follow along. The first one is this, the character of fear. What exactly is fear? How does it work? And what do our fears reveal to us about ourselves? The second question is, how does fear enslave you? How does it make you a slave? How do our fears affect us? How do our fears govern the way that we live our lives? And the third point is, how does the gospel free us from our fear? How does the gospel free us from being slaves to our fear? How does the gospel give us life? How does it give us hope? Point number one, the character of fear. Here we go. Take a look at verse 8, 9, and 10 with me again. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. A little backdrop, a little bit of history. If you guys remember Joseph, sold into slavery into Egypt by his own brothers, He rises to be the second in command of all of Egypt. And because he has saved Egypt, because he has done so many good things for Egypt, he is allowed to bring his family into Egypt. And he brings his entire family in, into the most powerful empire at that time. And there they thrive. They start to multiply. They start to grow. They start to fill the land. They start to prosper. But this ends up being a problem because there is a new pharaoh now and he has no idea who Joseph is. And he has no idea how Joseph saved the land. And all he can see is that there is this growing, alien to Egypt, Hebrew population. And here is where we start to see the fear start to creep in, Pharaoh. Take a look at verse 9 and 10 again with me. He said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many. They're too strong. They're too mighty for us. Come, let us deal truly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Pharaoh is scared here. He is scared that the Hebrews will soon outnumber the Egyptians and join their enemies and wage war against Egypt. And it's not just Pharaoh that is scared. Verse 12 tells us that all of Egypt is uh, is filled with dread. They're all scared. But here's what we can learn about fear from Pharaoh. Here's what we see regarding the character of fear. Fear is like smoke. Let me explain. This past fall, there's been a lot of fires in Southern California. It's like almost every other week, there seems to be a huge fire. And maybe you found yourself in this position where you're driving down 91 Freeway, usually heading toward the east, and you see gray smoke in the distance. You see a pillar of smoke rising up and we naturally and automatically assume, oh, smoke, there must be a fire beneath it. There must be something that is burning, something that is causing this smoke to rise. Fear operates in the same way. Like smoke, the presence of fear reveals to us something that is going on deeper within our hearts it reveals to us what we truly value it reveals to us what we truly desire what we dream about it reveals to us what we love it's pretty easy to see this actually with Pharaoh stick with me it says Pharaoh's fear is that the Hebrews will outgrow Egypt that they would join Egypt's enemies and come back and take over the land of Egypt but that's just the smoke that's indicative of something that is going on within Pharaoh's heart. This fear gives us a clue as to what Pharaoh values, what he prioritizes, what he desires, what he dreams about. It gives us a clue of what Pharaoh loves. Pharaoh's fear of the Hebrews taking over was an indicator of the love that he had in his position as king. He loved it. He loved the power. It made him feel secure. It was his job and he valued it and he didn't want to lose it. And so that's why he fears what? The Hebrews growing too big. Why? Because it's threatening what he loves his kingship. We also see it in how his heart was probably constantly concerned and obsessed over his reputation, over what others might think of him, what history might think of him. He's worried about his legacy. He's worried about the approval of man, the approval of his peers, the approval of his people, the approval of maybe his family. Surely he did not want to be the one pharaoh that led Egypt, this great nation, to its downfall. He valued how he was perceived. He wanted to be perceived as someone that was great. His heart was filled constantly with questions probably, like, what if they don't approve of me? What if they don't like me? What if they don't respect me? What's going on in his heart? And it shows up in his fear that the Hebrews are growing too big and that they will soon conquer Egypt. And though you and I cannot understand Pharaoh's specific fear of losing an entire empire to the Hebrews, you and I can definitely relate to what Pharaoh loves. Because we love the same things. We dream about the same things. We value the same things. We prioritize the same things. We love the same things that Pharaoh loves. I too, like Pharaoh, love security. I love comfort, and it scares me when I think about not having enough. I too, like Pharaoh, value my reputation, what others think about me, if I'm being liked or approved or respected, and it shows up in my fear of disapproval from my friends, from my peers, from my family, from my leaders, I too, like Pharaoh, value success. I wanna be looked upon as someone who has it all together, who knows what he's doing, and it shows up in my fear of failure. And that's the character of fear, it's really just smoke. And the presence of fear serves to illuminate our hearts by shedding light on what we value most, what we desire most, what we dream about, what we love most. That's the character of fear. My second point is this, how does fear enslave us? How does it make us slaves? If our fear is a reflection of something that is going on deeper within our hearts, If our fear is a reflection of what we value most, what we love most, then it is only natural that we want to protect what we love, and we will act accordingly. This is what I mean, that we will do whatever it takes to ensure that what we value most, what we dream about, what we desire most, what we love most, we're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that it's not taken away from us. We're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that we never lose what we value most. And in that way, our fear of losing what we love forces us to react and respond. The fear of losing what we value, it dictates the way that we live our lives. It only makes sense that it does. And this is what we see with Pharaoh. Take a look at verses 11 through 14 with me. So Pharaoh's love for his position, Pharaoh's love for his kingship, Pharaoh's love for his reputation, his love for what people thought of him, his love for respect is threatened by the growing Hebrews. It shows up in his fear that the Hebrews will outnumber Egypt and take their land. And so Pharaoh is driven to do something about it. He's driven by his fear of losing what he loves. And so he responds. Verse 11 and 13 tells us that the fir- Pharaoh's first line of defense In protecting what he loves is to what? Is to enslave the Hebrews. They're growing too big. Let's make them, let's turn them into our slaves. They're made slaves given the hard work of building the massive monuments and cities that we associate with the Egyptians. The Bible, the scripture tells us they're given bitter and hard work. And the idea behind the language of hard and bitter work in the Hebrew is not associated with hard work but it's actually closer to the idea of violence. Pharaoh's intention was not to just make the Hebrews work hard. His intention was to kill them. And so Pharaoh, out of his fear, violently, forcefully, harshly, turns an entire nation and turns them into slaves. And all of this evil was really birthed out of where? Pharaoh's fear. His fear of losing what he cares about. It's dictating the way that he lives his life. And verse 12 tells us that despite Pharaoh's actions, Israel continues to grow. And now Pharaoh's in trouble. Because now Pharaoh will have even more to be scared of. There are more Hebrews now. There's more to lose. There's more to be scared of. And so his response gets even harsher. More scary. More evil. Take a look at verses 15 and 16. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives... One of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua. When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew woman and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you should kill him. but if it is a daughter, she shall live. Pharaoh personally goes, find, goes and finds two Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua, and he personally commands them to kill all the male babies that they help in delivering. The midwives were essentially what we think of doctors today, doctors that help mothers deliver. They help during the process of bringing a life into this world. And Pharaoh approaches these two women and personally commands them, if you see the baby and it is a male, you better kill it. Why just the sons? Because to Pharaoh, the girls were really actually kind of useful. They could be sold off. They could be trafficked, sold as sex slaves. But ultimately, to Pharaoh, girls were no threat to his position There were no threat to his empire. There were no threat to his legacy and reputation. There were no threat to what he loved and valued most. It was a well thought out, well planned, and very intentional evil that is birthed out of Pharaoh's fear. Pharaoh's command to Shifra and Pua, kill the boys. Really a level of darkness and evil that maybe you and I can't really understand. It's disgusting. But here's what we see. Hopefully you see the pattern in Pharaoh's behavior here. His actions are directly caused by the fear of losing what he loves. His love for his glory compels him to do this heinous and evil act. His love for the approval of man, for the approval of his peers, prevents him from seeing beyond himself. His fear of losing what he loves, it controls him. Pharaoh is literally a slave to his fear. He was a slave to what he loved. And it's very easy for us to look at Pharaoh and view him as being disgusting, to look at Pharaoh and to shake our heads. But I can totally understand Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Pharaoh's fear of losing what he loved, Pharaoh's fear of losing what he dreamt about, the respect, the glory, the success, the security, it caused him to act out in certain ways. And in the same way, my fear of losing what I love, it causes me to act out in certain ways as well. It's natural. It happens to all of us. For those of you who don't know, my parents divorced when I was young. A lot of people ask me, well, how old were you? I don't know. I was that young. Probably be, be younger than four, or five, I don't know. And growing up, I would never really verbalize it. I would never let myself admit it, but I was convinced that they were split because it was my fault. That I had something to do with it. I believed that if I was X, Y, and Z, my father would have never left. That he wouldn't have abandoned us. That he wouldn't have rejected us. That maybe if I was just smarter, if I was cuter, he wouldn't have rejected me. And this fear of rejection, this fear of being abandoned, this fear of not being loved and not being liked, it caused me to act in certain ways. It still causes me to act in certain ways today. A lot of the people that I'm close to know that I hate, that I avoid conflict and confrontation like it's the plague. I hate it, why? Not because I love peace, not because I love everything being peaceful, but because I'm scared of being rejected and being abandoned. I struggle with not telling the truth. Why? Because I'm scared that if I offend someone by being honest that they'll leave. And on the flip side, I blatantly lie to people that I love. I blatantly lie to them to their face. Why? So they like me enough so that they love me, so that they would stick around. It controls me. It paralyzes me. It enslaves me. I am a slave to my fear maybe you are like me, and you are a slave to your fear of being rejected. You are a slave to your fear of being abandoned, of not being good enough, or maybe you are not like me. But can we be honest for just a second? There is something that you value and that you love so much that you are scared to death of losing, and it is making you a slave. We are all slaves to our fear. Point number three, how does the gospel free us? It's interesting to note here that the two unlikely heroes in this story, Shifra and Pua, are also compelled. They're also controlled by, their lives are also dictated by what? By their fear. Take a look at verses 15 through 17 with me. And the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birthstool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a doctor, or if it is a daughter, if it's a doctor too, (laughs) if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. This entire story, this entire narrative up to this point is all about Pharaoh. It is about his fear. It is about his values. It is about what he desires, dreams about, and it is about losing what he loves. But in contrast here, we have two women. And these women are given names. Shifra means beautiful. Pua means shining bright. It is very interesting that they're given names. Because Pharaoh, the king of the most powerful empire in the world, is not given that honor. Here we see that the two midwives are compelled and controlled by their fear. And what is it that they fear? They fear God. And if we can look at Pharaoh's fear and say that his fear served that smoke... If we can say that his fear was indicative of something going on in his heart, something deeper in his heart, that it was indicative of what he valued most, what he desired most, what he dreamt about, what he loved most, then we can look at the midwife's fear too. And we can say that their fear was indicative too of something that they valued most, what they desired most, what they dreamt of most, what they loved most. And it drove them to respond in a certain way, namely, To refuse Pharaoh's direct orders to kill the Hebrew boys. It's their fear of God. And this fear of God that the Hebrew midwives had is something that you and I ought to have, that you and I ought to pursue according to the scriptures. What is the fear of God, though? What does that mean? In the Bible, whenever the fear of God is mentioned, it is always referred to in this sense. It is what most scholars would describe it as, a reverential awe of God. To be in awe of God. Here's how pastor and scholar Jerry Bridges puts it. A profound sense of awe towards God, of who he is and what he has done, is undoubtedly the dominant element in the attitude or set of emotions that the Bible calls the fear of God. Who God is and what he has done. When you and I truly understand that, we will have what the Bible calls the fear of God. So who is God? He is the king of the universe. He knows everything, which means he knows the deepest secrets of our heart. He knows us fully and completely. He knows what you take pride in. He knows what brings you joy. He knows every single prayer that you have prayed. He knows your accomplishment. He knows your dreams. He knows everything. Which also means that he knows all our fears. He knows where we fall short. He knows our failures. He knows our shame. He knows the one thing that we don't want anyone else to know. He knows our sin. Who is God? He is the holy and perfect one. The one who demands a punishment as a price to be paid for our disobedience against this holy and perfect God. And the Bible tells us that the price to be paid is death. That's Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. And it is a price that you and I cannot afford to pay. That's who God is. But what has he done? God, the king of the universe, the holy and perfect one, he intervenes on our behalf by sending his only son, the son that he loves, to die in our place, to pay the price that you and I couldn't pay, to die the death that you and I couldn't die. God sends his son as a sacrifice. Why? And this is the most crucial part. Because he values us. Because he approves of us. He desires to be with us. Dare I say that he dreams about us. He loves us. He accepts us. He approves of us. And he values us. And truly understanding the gospel of who God is and what he has done. On the one hand, it generates this fear a fear of the holiness and perfection of God. And so we approach him in reverence because he is wholly different from us. But on the other hand, it generates this kind of awe, this kind of shock that someone like him can love and approve of, that someone like him can value, can desire, can even dream of, To be like, to be with someone like me. To be with us. Know this. This is the greatest news for me. It's the greatest news for you. It's the greatest news for everyone. Because truly understanding the fear of the Lord, being in reverential awe of who God is and what he has done, brings true freedom. Freedom. It frees us. It frees us from our slavery to fear. How? Because I don't need to live in constant fear anymore. Wondering if I will ever have enough. Why? Because the king of the universe tells me not to worry. That he is in control. That he is looking out for me. I can live in freedom because I don't need to live in constant fear anymore. Wondering about whether or not others approve of me. I don't need to worry constantly about what others are thinking of me, hoping that they respect me, hoping that they value me, hoping that they desire to be with me, hoping that they don't reject me, hoping that they don't abandon me. I don't need to worry about that anymore. Why? Because the gospel tells me that I am already accounted for, that the king of the universe values me that He desires to be with me, and that He loves me. And it frees us from our vainless pursuit of pointlessly trying to keep all that we love. It frees us from our fear. All our fears are dissolved when we truly understand the fear of God, who God is, and what He has done for us. Crossway Church, my friends, my family, What is it that you fear most? And what does it reveal about what you love most? My prayer this week is that you and I will run deeper into who God says he is. And that you and I will embrace harder what he says that he has done for us that we will better understand who God is and what he has done for us and that we will find ourselves in reverential awe of our King. And this reverential awe will drive us, it will control us, it will compel us to love Christ more and more every day of our lives. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for Passages like these in the Old Testament, where even stories like this, where we can see the faithfulness of who you are, how faithful you are to your children. And God, our prayer this week, every single day, is that you will reveal to us who you are, that you will reveal to us just how much you love us. God that would motivate us that would compel us that it would drive us to look more and more like you and all the things that you call us to God give us the courage and faith to believe what you say is true God we love you so much help us to love you more we pray all this in your son's name